to How Have You Not Seen That. My name is Charles. I'm Wilson. And I'm Crossman. Uh, this is a show where we admit to movies that we haven't seen that we, maybe we should have at some point and then analyze them from a more modern perspective. So this week, Crossman hadn't seen The Emperor's New Groove. So Crossman, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, this is an animated Disney film. This comes in... 2000. Uh, yeah, 2000, which is after Hunchback of Notre Dame. It stars David Spade, mm-hmm. who's the, the emperor of a South American country. Of some sort. Yeah. yeah. Reading about it, it's supposed to be the Incan Empire. Um, he's a, an asshole. It's and, a bad guy. Yeah, he's, he's not a good ruler of, of, of this empire. And he meets Pacha, who's uh, John Goodman. And uh, Goodman has been uh, summoned to... Have, Talks to the emperor, and the emperor um, basically tells him that he's gonna like take his village and like turn it into his like summer retreat. And uh, Goodman is distraught about this, but he's not able to do anything because it's a, a feudal system. Uh, <laughs> so um, the almost immediately uh, there's this like witch like character who is like the the. <clears throat> right-hand person of, of the emperor um, named Yasma, um, who's voiced by Eartha Kitt. And he, um, like, it turns out uh, Yasma has, like, been looking to, like, sort of get him for a while. <laughs> and she means to poison him, but um, the she actually accidentally turns him into a llama. And then she needs to disappear the llama because he can still talk. As a human, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and um, her assistant, voiced by Patrick Warburton, kind of like disappears the, the llama, and then Hatcha like accidentally finds the llama, and then it's a speaking llama, <laughs> and then he realizes it's the emperor because he has the same voice, and he kind of takes pity on him and brings him to his house, and then uh, he, even as a llama, is still a jerk, and he like pisses off. <laughs> Pacha, and um, the, some like hijinks happen, and they and they end up like cutting a deal where like if Pacha gets uh, David Spade back to the castle mm-hmm. to be uh, turned back into a human by Yasma, then uh, he'll not use their village as as a uh, summer resort. So they start to do that, but then they run into Yasma and Kronk, Kronk, Patrick Warburton. And then they overhear that, like, they're actually looking to kill the emperor. Right. More hijinks ensue. They end up, like, racing back to the castle. Uh, there's, like, a big sort of struggle at the end. And, like, they are trying all these different potions. It's, like, turning everybody into different animals. Um, and then Yasma is, like, turned into a kitten. And they are able to, like, turn David Spade back into a human. And that's kind of, like, the end of the plot. And then he's, like... Learned, learned a lesson. He's learned a lesson. And he... Uh, builds a, his summer house on a neighboring slope to the town, not on the town. So, yeah, uninhabited. Yeah. One would presume. Well, it looked like he ended up not building the summer house at all. Or much built, like a, a normal hut. Right. And he made the, the <clears throat> summer house as like a bird house. Yeah, right. That, that yeah. is what happened. That, so, you know, he doesn't need to have this giant monument to himself. Instead, he's content hanging around with his friend, his new friend. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, a pretty normal arc to it. A Disney movie, yes. yeah. overall. Have you seen this before, Charles? Uh, I think so, but I've probably okay. seen it like in theaters when I was a kid, so I had very little memory of it. Right. I think so. that's when I saw it. I think I saw it in the theater 
yeah. or very shortly thereafter. So I'm a few years older, and I think I'd like aged out of Disney right. films at this point, which I said mm-hmm. last time. But I actually think I would have liked this film even I at did. my like <laughs> probably teenage sure. age sure. whenever it came out. Um, but yeah, did you like it this time? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was funny. Yeah, I mean it's it's fun. It's a Disney movie. It like it's like along. it's like seventy five minutes. Yeah, it's so very, it's yeah, not it's, a lot of like film. It's Eight, so fast. Eighty two. Yeah, <laughs> it almost felt like watching one of those like twenty minute like Looney Tunes episodes because right. it just like flew right by. Or watching like six of those in a row. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that, that is what it feels. It like. It actually felt a lot like a Looney Tunes film in more ways than one. Um, in that it seemed like Disney was kind of like doing a a Looney Tunes film. Yeah. Like the like race sequence is mm-hmm. like cribbed directly from Looney Tunes, which is mm-hmm. funny because they're they're the like anti Disney. Mm-hmm. Right. The cooler, yeah. edgier version of yeah. the Disney. So was it was doing. it was interesting to see Disney being like, let's do Looney Tunes. Yeah. Well <laughs> it feels like this movie was targeted at kids that were a little bit older, right? Where you, you look at something like mm. Lion King or Little Mermaid or even like Pocahontas. Um, and that's like youth, right? Like sure. that's under 10. Like that, that's yeah. what they're looking at here. Whereas this kind of has like these metatextual jokes where they like have these cutaways where it's like, oh, you're aware that it's in a movie and like this voiceover from David Spade where he's talking about yep. the story yeah. that we're watching and there's like, it's kind of told a little bit out of order and like this feels like stuff that is like 10 plus. It feels like they're, yeah. there's a little bit more complexity in how they're presenting this story and in some of the jokes that they're offering. Because yeah. it, it presumes the audience has some experience with Disney movies yes. and cartoons and all that. Right? Yes. And his voice, like David Spade is... An edgier right. voice like than, they, than they would normally work with. So it was right. like Patrick Warburton, who's probably famous just from Seinfeld at the time. Correct. Yeah. And currently. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he's on Family Guy. He's a voice on. Oh, that's oh yeah. Right. He's, okay, he's the neighbor I, keep forgetting I still him. associate him with Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I think you're right. And I, I, I didn't pick up on that. I probably didn't pick up on much of anything when I watched this when I was. 12 or whatever mm-hmm. but I must have been like just the right age for this I must have been like right in this this movie's target audience uh, when it came out because I do remember liking it like I remember going mm-hmm. to the theater and, and enjoying it and then never watching it again <laughs> until, <laughs> until now um, but that was my sense of it I was surprised by how much older it seemed to me than I expected mm-hmm. yeah. uh, when I sat down yeah did you guys get that sense that was a little bit aged yeah. up yeah yeah there there were some definite moments where I was like, oh, that was like, it was also like very time capsule in, in a lot of ways because they're using like contemporary humor. Sure. Like at one point, the Empress is doy. And I was like, <laughs> I was like whoa. That's, that, that's right to 2000. Yeah, that it? was very like time capsule, like comeback. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, and, and even like the cat, like David Spade isn't getting leading roles in Disney movies anymore, right? Like that's not, no. that's not happening. Um, so even that is like David, David his, Spade's his very speaks, presence. Yeah, he speaks so specifically to a, a certain era, like mm-hmm. the '90s, like mid to late '90s, yeah. early 2000s. John John Goodman made it out. Right? Yeah, John, yeah, John he, Goodman. He's is, at least been in like Monsters Inc. Right. Well, right. he's just a real actor. Right? Like, well, yeah, he's just in legitimate prestige flicks. Um, but like that stuff makes it feel pretty specific. And then Eartha Kitt, you know, made two more movies after this, and then she died because she was mm-hmm. like eighty something when she made this. So like, what a worker! Like, yeah, <laughs> just kind of went and went. Um, I like David Spade here, though. I think he yeah. works really well mm-hmm. for this character, and also that like, like IRL, he's like kind of known for being a jerk. It's, yes, it's funny that he's like kind of 
he, he can is play himself. himself. Yeah, yeah, he's really just himself in this movie. Yeah, well, and, and really that's not that different than his performances in things like Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. Right, where he's not he's not the heel in those, but he is the stick in the mud, and he is like the straight man to Chris Farley. Yeah, um, and he does read as like kind of a schmuck. Yeah, he's like an, he's like a know it all jerk. Right. Yeah. yeah, and he basically is that for the entire run of, of those movies, those the Chris mm-hmm. Farley movies. Yeah, and um, so this doesn't feel like too much of a too far afield from that, right? Like he's he's hitting it harder here, but it's still like basically in line with what he's been doing his career in. Yeah, you know, life. Um, so yeah, that, that I, I'd describe sense. his voice as kind of friendly, but also very annoying. Yes, and that's like the right kind of voice you want for this sort of character—one that is really annoying at first, but that like can like become more empathetic. Right, going right. forward. Well, and I think the danger with this character is that he—he's like threading a a, a a needle between empathetic and pathetic. Yeah, because I think that like that's where this could trend, right? Like where he becomes like so uh, despicable and also just like so downtrodden because he's you know being cursed and all this that he becomes this figure that we aren't able to connect with anymore. Yeah, that it, that is just, just like this pitiful figure. And I think that David Spade is like abrasive enough that we, yeah. <laughs> that we kind of avoid that um, and that that and that that works here. Um, that said, spe- speaking of David Spade, it's an impossible. This might be jumping ahead a couple steps to not contextualize this with his earlier work with Chris Farley, because it feels like Goodman and Patrick Warburton are like supposed to be this like amalgamation mm. of Chris or like the split or the of Chris Farley, of it, yeah. right? <laughs> like because like they're big jolly funny guys mm-hmm. that are basically good-hearted and you know earnest in a way that that David Spade isn't. And like they are the static characters to his very dynamic character, um, and you have Chris Farley dying in 1997, and like three years later, this movie comes out, and mm. it, it feels like they're really trying to find that dynamic, and there isn't a replacement for Chris Farley, um, but it <laughs> that that's why I read those figures. It's like these are supposed to be the replacements for for Chris, and he's just not here. Um, I don't know, Jay's with that sense, but. I'm not really familiar with Have those you seen movies. Tommy Boy? No. Really? No. no. Put yeah, that on the list. Yeah, you definitely should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> put that one up there. Or um, or Black Sheep. Or Black the, Sheep. Like diet version of Tommy Boy. Right. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. Just a, it's a, a these, remake, like a year later. Same exact movie, but just a slightly different context. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's like, oh, you like this? Here's more of it. Yeah. Um, but this movie felt like that. It felt like uh, what, what they're doing is saying, like, okay, we really miss Chris Farley, and mm. like it yeah. kind of makes this movie a little sad. Like it, yeah. it, there's a, there's like a sadness to it that I was like oh that that's too bad that they couldn't find that because I, I like John Goodman and Patrick Warburton do good work but it's there's a void right like there's mm-hmm. an absence yeah I could definitely see Farley as like the Kronk character yeah, yeah. and yeah. even though like it, it, you look at stuff like like Tommy Boy and, and Black Sheep and like there's a good naturedness to that Chris Farley character even if he is a dope yeah. the whole time yeah that. Uh, John Goodman has here in the Pacha character, right? That he's just like this earnest, decent person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that plays against David Spade's, you know, conniving kind of patheticness yeah. <laughs> well. Um, so, you know, that... Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about it the whole time I was watching this. Yeah. yeah. Um, the So, I was reading that this film had, like, a kind of fraught development. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... It was in production when 
uh, Hunchback came out, mm-hmm. and Hunchback didn't do very well. I think mm. they were they were expecting like a because I think Hunchback falls after Lion King yeah. in the like Disney schema. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Lion King, one of the hugest animated films of all time to, to date. Yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. date. Yeah, probably just like a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go to Hunchback, and everybody's like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and I never saw it either. Oh, I mean, it's it's weird. Like, there's some curious choices in Hunchback in Notre Dame. Um, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but uh, Lindsay Alice, who's a famous YouTuber, has a very very good video on Hunchback in Notre Dame, its production, and like the history of it. It's yeah, fascinating, frankly. <laughs> and so that so like Disney panicked at that uh-huh. point, and this was. Uh, it's slated to be like a serious Disney movie, like the really? yeah, like the Lion King and like Hunchback, hmm. and so they brought in another director to like punch it up and like turn it into a comedy, hmm. and that like caused a lot of production issues. And the <laughs> original director, I think, ended up like dropping out, and they were, I think, there was supposed to be like a lot more sequences that just like never. Huh. got made or didn't make sense in like the new like comedic version mm. of the film that's why it's so short that's why it's so short and why there's not relative to like other disney movies there's not many like musical numbers in this yeah and it like opens with the one and i was like it was funny right we got to the end they had like a song at the end and i thought back and realized that this wasn't a musical right disney movie because yeah. When, they, yeah, when they played that song at the beginning i was like i don't remember this being a musical but yeah. okay and then <laughs> there weren't any more songs yeah <laughs> yeah and yeah, so I guess there's like a documentary about it, which I didn't watch, called The Steam Box, about how like fraught this like development was. I had was. no idea. Yeah. Because this feels like a like comedy. Like there's nothing serious about this story. It's, it's a, hard it, to imagine any other way. It's it's almost slapstick, like yeah. from the get go. Like it's this this giant, you know, like stylized world, like these larger than life characters, like the whole concept of like a dude turning into a llama is, yeah. is silly and, and, and comedy on its face. Like, so, that's very surprising to me. I don't see how you get to a serious story from here. Unless it's just an entirely different movie. I agree. And I think it actually works as a comedy. Like, yeah. even watching as an adult, there are, like, still funny moments in this film. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think I found this to be maybe the funniest Disney movie that I've seen. Really? Okay. Like, straight Disney movie. Mm. Or at least that I remember. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've watched a lot of Disney movies, so I... Yeah, most of them are targeted children, or, like, very serious. Like, Pocahontas is, like, mm. very serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's yeah. a lot of them. movie. Yeah. Like, there are comedic moments in the other films, like Timon and Pumbaa. And, sure. Um, the, the dragon and Mulan. Yeah, or, or the, the crab and Little Mermaid are yeah. all, like, comedic characters. Mm-hmm. But, like, here... Everybody's a comedian. Yeah, right. Like, and it nobody, works. Yeah, yeah, there's nobody playing it straight. Like, they're all like in it for the for the gags. Yeah, yeah. Everything is like a bit. Yeah, even even yeah. is a little goofy at times. Right, right. Like, yeah, he's probably he plays like the straight man character, but right. But he's still that. just like has has jokes. Yeah. Um. So for me, the like speaking of the comedy of this movie, my favorite sequence, or the sequence I think I found funniest was when they were in the the diner. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a great sequence. It was so well made. Yeah, it was so well made. Like just how they they constructed like just the right timing of everybody coming in and when out, they're all dodging each other. When they're all dodging each other, yeah. and that that Patrick Burton or War Burton like steps in to take over the the cook role, and like how he just like so naturally yeah. like starts using the kitchen lingo and like switching up the order and all that is such a good gag, and like it works. Yeah. It, it, that worked really well. I 
I laughed at that quite a bit. That one was very good. Definitely funny to have like a 50 style diner yeah. in, in this South American empire. Right. And I think that help, that that kind of stuff helps to kind of undercut the like natural racism and white appropriation mm-hmm. of a story like this. Where it's like, we're doing this really heightened, unreal, like consciously unrealistic version of this thing. Yeah. Like it, it's, so I think that kind of it softens it a, a little bit to Disney's credit. Um, so I think that part works that but, that was like the main thing that didn't hold up about the yes. movie whereas like if they made this movie today it would be a lot more like moana yes. where they would get like a bunch of hispanic actors and right like, whereas here it's yeah, yeah. You know, or and it would probably be better context to the time period because it's like it's pre-spanish invasion mm-hmm. but the characters and many characters have like spanish names yeah uh, not all which, of them, but many of them do. Which makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, um, but it's interesting, and to that was like very noticeable. Yeah, well, yeah. but it's interesting to set a story during that period. Yeah, right. Because I don't, I don't think we get stories of native people prior to European contact. In general, it's usually the story of European contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or post-European contact, and it, I, I literally can't think of any like, off the top when of my I head. Think back to it, it doesn't really feel like the setting mattered too much for the movie like it yeah. feels like it'd be very easy to reskin the movie to some other setting as long as you can have magic potions yeah i mean so you're absolutely right like they could have set this in you know medieval england yeah and it would and i mean then you wouldn't be a llama but like you'd be a horse or something or like something that. right yeah, yeah. You, absolutely like they, they don't interact with the culture that they're depicting here at all it's and, purely a stylistic choice. right and yeah. on the one hand you know great like disney is probably not well situated to do that sure um, but on the other hand it does feel like they're just like putting on a costume um which is like the appropriate thing like that's kind of how you define it yeah, um, but you have to wonder if it inspired some children out there to be interested in, like, you know, Mesoamerican culture or something like that. Yeah, but I mean, I, I certainly don't know. But um, I, I, if you were to, like you said, if you were to make this movie today, like, I don't think you could get away with a lot of what they got away with here. No, mm-hmm. no. Yeah, in terms of the, the appropriation. Even the Lion King kind of feels like, like right. I, I don't know. <laughs> right. And actually, they've, like, already, like, mistold a native story in Pocahontas. Oh yeah, right. yeah, which is like completely fictionalized and not good. Yeah, not, <laughs> not in the good way. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. that's just that's like way worse. noble yeah. savage, disnified, right? Like that's all that story is. It's just the, the noble savage trope. Yeah. for an hour and a half. I recently heard like the real story of like what happened in Pocahontas. And it's like uh, it's utterly horrifying. It's one yeah. of the most horrifying things like I've ever. She, she, oh, yeah. she was like thirteen, right? Like she was like really, really young yeah. when when she was married off to John Smith. And then just like dragged to England, mm-hmm. like, yeah. No, well, she had been married in. She was like she had like a native husband right. who yeah. was killed by. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there are other like horrific things about it. Right. Yeah. And she was. Wasn't she like pretty young? That that was my memory. Mm-hmm. Of it. Okay. And there's speculation uh-huh. that she was murdered too. Mm-hmm. So. And yeah, but then she, there's like pretty good evidence for it. Yeah, and she did so. actually end up in England, like in English court as like this curiosity for nobles. I, I remember reading about that. Yeah. Yes. Which occurs in the sequel to Pocahontas. Disney made a sequel. Is uh, <laughs> it like a straight to DVD thing? I think so. Straight to VHS? They, they made a bunch of those. It's like a sequel to The Lion King and Little Mermaid. There's a sequel to this one. Yeah, but then. There's two, actually. There's a wow. TV show. 
<laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other yeah. sequel. Right. So they, they had to recast David Spade, but they got to keep Patrick Warburton. Yeah, for Kronk's New Groove or for, something. Right, right. <laughs> and, the, and the TV show. And I think John Goodman like has a cameo or something at some point. He shows up in a mm-hmm. couple episodes. That's cool. He got a credit. <laughs> um, so I mean, he was a TV actor. So. There, he sure was. He sure was. Um, so, yeah, they got, they got some mileage out of this to whatever end that might be. Um, let's talk about the look of this, like the animation. Because uh, like, you're kind of an animation guy, you have an animation background, sure. Crossman. So I'm curious about your perspective on that. I, I thought there were some things that were cool, like the way that the palace is designed, I think is like very cool. And I don't know, there were there was definitely moments where I felt like more sketchy than other Disney films. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't seem to have like the same polish as Hunchback or Lion King, which I think That's makes sense cool. in the context that they're like rushing to like change this film dramatically. I was wondering about that. Yes. Um, Because there were scenes where I felt like when I was looking at the characters, I could still see like the sketch lines in Mm -hmm. the characters, which to me means that it didn't go through as much like processing as Mm -hmm. some, like something that Lion King went through. Some of them had more money and time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't notice the sketch lines. That's interesting. I didn't either, but you very likely have a better eye for this stuff. Yeah, I think you can see in some of the the faces of the characters where you just like very hard lines on the (laughs) outside of the characters to just like, and just like much more simple shading. That's what I noticed. Which could be a stylistic choice, but it's not like forced enough that it it feels that it's way. It just feels like it's rushed. Yeah. Or yeah. simplified. The, yeah. the thing that stood yeah. out most to me was yeah. it felt like the backgrounds were, like you said, simpler. Yeah. Uh, they, they yes. I was, I, it made me wonder if the film was going for like an abstract, a more abstract art style. Because mm-hmm. a lot of the landscapes are like a little more stark, less detailed than I would expect from a Disney movie. Yeah. 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 Like I remember towards the beginning of the film, like he's having, like when they're starting to, when they're going to poison him and they're having dinner down on like her dungeon or whatever yeah. it is and it's like basically just like a big purplish wall yeah i remember there are whole against. sections where the background was just a solid color right. essentially with a little texture on right. it which again so feels weird. very like looney tunes because it's like mm-hmm. for, for lack of out. budget yeah they just yeah. like didn't fill in the background because it wasn't what they wanted right which so. is, i think might be why that diner sequence stands out because that one there was more detail it did look That's better true. Like yeah. there was more stuff going on in the background. It was a much more active sequence, like and mm-hmm. and that felt really crisp and yeah. and, and well constructed. Yeah. Um, whereas some of the other ones, like you have, like a lot of like block solid colors in the characters' clothing and design mm-hmm. in that respect as well. Like yes. the like um, John Goodman's cloak, like is just like a solid green. Yeah. And like just that green. Yeah. And on the one hand, yeah, that could be a stylistic stylistic choice, but I noticed it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah I was like, I, like if you really wanted to go for it, I think what you would do is like look at Incan art sure. and stylize it after that, which it feels like they were kind of doing. Like for the city, obviously they mm-hmm. did, but you could do that like with the characters and with the way the animals look and stuff like that. Right. Um, they did that with Hercules, which I thought was a great effect. That's yes. a good comparison point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Hercules feels like it draws a lot from this film. Yes. Um, just like, it's, and it's, it's like, like style of storytelling. It's more goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And there's like this meta thing about it. Like there's a kind of an awareness that it's a movie now and then, or like awareness that it's a story now and then. Yeah. Because um, like there's a bunch of like Michael Jordan references in Hercules. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like things like that. Um, so like, you're right. And I think that was a pretty similar time period too, like a post. Yeah, I'd have to check post the Lion King. Ordering of them. Right. Hercules is an interesting Disney movie. 
Yeah. Like, it's another one that's not, like, entirely successful, but the female lead in that one is, like, much more dynamic and interesting than you'd expect from mm-hmm. Disney movies of that era, that she's kind of, like, making choices, and, like, the relationship between the two of them is really what kind of moves the plot forward, which is not mm-hmm. the case for a lot of Disney movies. They kind of... So, Her- Hercules comes out in 97. Yeah, that's So, right. maybe it's that's the before reverse, like, influence then, where this this feels very influenced by... Right, yeah. No, I thought that's what Like, the two yes. seem similar, yeah. Yes. When was uh, Tarzan? That's a great Cause question. Because I, I looked it up just a few days ago, and I 99. think that was... 99. Yeah. So, okay. that would have been also before this. Right. Well, there's a lot of... There's, like, this whole batch of like, post-Lion King Disney movies that were okay and problematic, mm-hmm. right? Sure. <laughs> like, I think you have Hunchback, Pocahontas, this one, uh, Tarzan, Hercules, like, that are just, like, they're they're striving for that, that high that was, you know, when they had that run of, like, Little Mermaid and Lion King and Mulan and, like, kind of this renaissance. Mm-hmm. And, like, they didn't... Beauty and the Beast. Right, yes. Beauty, certainly Beauty and the Beast. And they, like, never got back there, and then they stopped making hand-drawn movies. <laughs> and, like, uh. and, like, that's kind of where it ended. Uh, which is a shame, because we did have, have that run of, like, three, four, like, really excellent uh, Disney hand-drawn animated movies. Did they actually never make another good hand-drawn movie after that? I haven't seen the, the um, southern one, the Louisiana one. About the, the toad Princess and, and the Frog, the I Princess think and it was. The Frog. Um, I haven't seen that one. That's so. actually more recent, too. I thought that came out, like, after they shuttered the... Or maybe it was the last one or something. I, I can't remember the timing. Because it feels pretty recent. Uh, I'm looking at it. Okay, so Lion King comes out in 94. Right. Um, I think Mulan was after that. Pocahontas in 95. Okay. Really? Uh, that late? I thought it was... Hunchback in 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hercules in 97. So they were just, like, jamming them out. Yeah. Here. Mulan in 98. And then this comes out in 2000. Yeah. But they did A Bug's Life in 98. Well, that was them. I can never remember which is A Bug's Life. Well, which is... That's Pixar, though, right? But it's produced by Disney. Okay. Yeah. Right. Ants was DreamWorks. Yeah, Ants was DreamWorks. Tarzan comes out in 99. Yeah, and then in the 2000s, Fantasia 2000. (laughs) Sure. Naturally. And then then this movie movie comes out in 2000. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so it, it feels like there's this space where Disney is, A, making a lot of movies. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of animated oh, movies. So Atlantis comes out in 2001. I bet that's what killed it. Oh, yeah. Wait, heard... Lilo and Stitch came out in 2002. That was a big hit. Oh, yeah. That was a good movie. Yeah. Oh, and Treasure Planet in 2002, which was a huge bomb, Oof. too. Yeah. So, and then, yeah. I heard Atlantis was one of those like underrated films that people forgot about. I rewatched it. It's weird and it's like a steampunk film yeah. really that's yeah. why people like i definitely it. saw that in theaters huh. yeah but i don't remember any of these disney movies that i saw in theaters as a kid <laughs> right. it's it's cool it steals a lot from indiana jones and mm-hmm. are you familiar with like the dinotopia series yes i don't think so yeah um those are cool yeah well in <laughs> the steampunk elements of like dinotopia yeah. okay. like atlantis like just like I mean, steals wholesale. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, it Dinotopia is, I, was rad as hell. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, it was. I had a lot of those when I was a kid. Yeah, same. Yeah, like it, it, those were speaking of good animation, like the art in those books. Incredible. Like my memory of them is that it's just they're just extraordinary. Well, the story is just crafted around this like art that this. Guy yeah, it's just did. like what if dinosaurs lived in this like like steampunk, steampunk universe. fantasy world? Yeah, damn. <laughs> and like that's it's, what it is. Yeah, it's fucking rad. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. very cool. I, awesome. I have no memory of like what the story actually was or who the characters were, but I have very clear memories of what those yeah. images look like. And it was very cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of Disney movies, do we have favorites? 
Like we haven't, I don't think mm. we've done an animated Disney movie before. Um, so do we, I know what my favorite Disney movie is, and it's Mulan. I think that's my favorite one. I think that movie's great. I like The Lion King a lot. Yeah, that's I, the same thing. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know if I like, I like some of the weirder live action Disney films more than <laughs> the animated films. But, like which uh, ones? Um, like 20,000 Leagues I like, okay. uh, Tron I think is yeah, awesome, the, like Tron. the Tron sequel is cool. Okay. Um, the Black Hole, which is like this weird movie, like sci-fi movie that they made in the 70s. That Isn't, wasn't that their response Dang. to Star Wars? I think it was. And it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it like didn't make any sense. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, because I think I remember actually reading that recently for some reason that Everyone was trying to get their Star Wars after everybody passed until it was actually made. Um, and that was Disney's. It was something called Black Hole. Yeah, I think they were... What's cool about Disney is that they're always, like, pushing mm -hmm. technology. And so all those, like, failed films are really, like, technological experiments. Right, need to look mm -hmm. at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got a favorite so, one, Charles? Uh, animated. Or I have a hard time picking a specific, like animated era film mm -hmm. um mainly because like i don't think one specific one really jumps out to me obviously i do like the lion king a lot sure. but a lot of these i feel like i don't have a proper memory of them huh. okay uh, to really like appraise them i have a better memory of the pixar films um okay go with that I, I don't know if we count those when we're talking about the uh, hand-drawn animated disney films yeah but, go for it what's your favorite pixar? uh i i think i go for wally -E usually sure yeah, yeah. wally's well, well, awesome yeah and uh, quiet yeah, I think my other, yeah. my other one quietly great. <laughs> my other one for Disney is is Beauty and the Beast. Like I think Beauty mm. and the Beast really, in in terms of just the the technical achievement that that movie is, it's incredible. Yeah, really stands apart. Like that one is, is to date. Like it looks very great. Oh, honestly, yeah. if I had to watch any of these as an adult, like you'd be hard pressed to not choose Emperor's New Groove. Like yeah, it's mm -hmm. funny and it's like eighty two minutes. Yeah, long. it's eighty two minutes. You're not, <laughs> you're not really sinking a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. although none of these are that long. Like they knew kids had an attention span, and these are going to be watched on repeat. Yeah. Um, although it's curious that yeah, this one isn't a musical because like even Hunchback was a musical. Like there were many songs in that movie. They Pocahontas was. They still brought Sting in to do, <laughs> to do yeah, the one like, like song. Yeah, they still have a single, but like the other ones have singles <laughs> that occurred during the runtime of the movie, um, and aren't not in the credits. Um, so that was interesting. That wasn't it like Sting and like Hans Zimmer. Probably. I feel like I was reading that. Hans Zimmer did uh, Lion King. Oh, I don't know if he did any other uh, Disney movies. Though. Yeah, with Elton John. Like he worked with Elton John to do that. Was Elton John did? Uh, that he too. did the like non-vocalized like okay. background the music. The soundtrack. Got yeah. it. Like, Got yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I didn't. I did not. I did not know that. Yeah. All right. Um, well, do we have any uh, any other thoughts on Emperor's New Groove? I mean, I basically liked it. Um, I like I, Eartha Kitt a lot here. Yeah. She's a really good. Uh, Bad guy. Yeah, I'm surprised. Bad gal. Because like, <laughs> I we associate her with a kit so much with like a much earlier era, mm -hmm. um, and like she had a lot of vibrancy. Like she's got a great voice. Yeah. For yeah. The, 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 she doesn't sound. I mean, she sounds old, but she doesn't sound like, you know, decrepit or or worn yeah. down or anything. Like she was alive and vibrant and moving. Like the, you got that sense from her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I really liked uh, Warburton's performance in yeah. this. Like, I, I think he was the standout character for me. It's just so distinctive uh, and fun and yeah. funny. Yeah, nobody else sounds like that. Like, he, yeah. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm surprised he doesn't do more voice acting work because he's... Like, that's what his acting is based on. It's that this very it, it might be too voice. distinctive to the point where you can only do, like, one role. Yeah, he's he's like going. the Family Guy guy now. Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. yeah, I guess he does do a lot if he's... I forget mm -hmm. he's a Family Guy. 
Um, so but I guess yeah. he does, but yeah, he nobody that, that was like great. That. I did appreciate how expressive like the facial animations were. Sure, um, they had a lot of character and emotion to them, mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that I specifically noted. They probably do that in every Disney film, but it was well done here it, still. Right. Well, it's just it, 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 we so rarely, at least I rarely see hand drawn animation anymore, unless I oh, yeah. unless I watch like uh, an anime or something like that. But like I, I don't see American hand drawn animation anymore. So like. Going back even 20 years, because the movie's 20 years old now, um, <laughs> even 20 years, it's like cool to just see that, right? Like it's just not common. It's, it's an art form. And it, and, and it will an abandoned art form for the most part. Like yeah. basically, mm -hmm. like except for like a handful of indie movies that'll come out now and then, or Asian movies, like it, it, it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a shame. It's, yeah, it's, I agree. It's too bad. It's like all... It's like, there's nothing wrong with these films. Yeah. And they hold up better than, like, the early Toy Story stuff does. Yeah, like, you watch the yeah. Toy Story 1 now, it's still a good movie because it's just a solid script and good performances, but the look of it... Same with Monsters, yeah. Inc. It looks yeah. like a bad... A flash like a bad, yeah, computer animation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now. I mean, it was incredible at the time, but... Yeah. It's, it, a, it's a technological aspect of it just doesn't hold up as well right whereas if you sit down and you watch Beauty and the Beast or Lion King today yeah. they're fine it, it still blows you away like yeah. that, that ballroom scene like I know that it's a lot of computers but it's a lot of not a lot of Andron stuff too yep and Beauty and the Beast it, it's mind-blowing to date like it's still it I need to rewatch that same with, with an actual operating memory right yeah same <laughs> with Lion King and then if you yeah. watch the remake it's it, yeah Oh, it's garbage. No. It looks terrible. Oh. Yeah, I still, I still have a very clear memory of seeing that, like the opening when the sun comes up in the Lion King, seeing that in the theater. Yeah, like it is gorgeous. Like, yeah, it, it, you never forget it. Like it, it's so distinct. Isn't Hunchback is kind of notable for some of its visuals too? I mean, it looks good. Like it, I don't think it, it, they did like stained glass oh. stuff, which yeah. is like really hard to do. I think they were using computers to render some of that. Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and there's like a darkness to that movie. Like Hunchback Notre Dame deals with some pretty mm. heavy stuff. I should rewatch it. I don't remember it at, at all. The, what I so. remember, or what I both remember and remember from the Lindsay video, is that the villain like has his big song, and the villain in that movie is the priest, right? Like, then he's trying to corral the gypsies and he's like this, this you know, quasi-Nazi figure. And he, but he still believes in God and his his um, song is like a prayer to God where he's asking God, like, if this is what I believe and this is the thing that I, would, I, I hold in my heart, how can I be evil? Because you created me and you're a, you're a good and wholesome God and... I believe in you, and therefore, it's your fault if I'm doing something that's evil. That's pretty complex. Which yeah, is that's some advanced super shit right fucking there. complicated yeah. Yeah. shit for a Disney yeah. movie. Yeah. And, and like, Damn. that's what the villain's song is about. Damn. Um, so, yeah, like, that's, that's what Hunchback is sometimes. But then it's also, like, Jason Alexander, you know, playing cards with pigeons. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this movie's just... Who's Jason Alexander? All He's, over uh, the place. He's the gargoyle. George. One of the gargoyles. That's They're funny. like the comedy relief And he character. has a good singing voice, so he's great for... Uh, yeah, he must sing at some point, because he is a musical background. He's a Broadway guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he did Merrily We Roll, Roll Along yeah. know, with, with Sondheim. Um, so, yeah, like, Hunchback can get pretty pretty crazy. You're selling me on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I kind of... Well, now I have Disney+, Plus. so... <laughs> go, go watch it. It's probably yeah. 90 minutes long. It's, you can uh, knock it out. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, uh, we'll be back in a moment with, uh, with things we've seen. Uh, stay tuned.
Welcome back to Things We've Seen. This is a section where we talk about movies that we've seen recently. Uh, we've been out for a while, uh, so we all saw a lot of films over the holidays. You both saw 1917. Yep. Tell us about it. Go ahead, Charles. Yeah, very, very relevant given the recent Oscars and awards season. Yeah, um, well, it'll be like it's a gotten month a lot ago. of press. Well, well, you know. Post, but yeah. Uh, so 1917 is a World War One movie where um, two British soldiers are sent um, to go to a different front line to inform um, a different um, like army that their attack is going to be a trap and that they can't do the attack. And the movie basically spans that journey through no man's land um, to try to reach uh, the other army and give them the message. Um, so, and they hype up that um, the brother of one of the main characters is on the is in that army, and so they have to reach there to save his life. Um, this movie's done uh, as if it were all one shot, um, and um, so the. The, the person you think is going to be the main character who has the brother ends up getting killed fairly early on. Um, and then they move on without him. The, the, the other guy goes on alone and the, and the movie just follows him. Uh, eventually, uh, he reaches the end and gives off the message. Um, and, you know, there's a bunch of hijinks in between. <laughs> That's basically what the movie is. It is. That is basically what the movie is. What do you think of it? I actually, I liked it a lot. Okay. Um, We're going to dive I, right I really like um, the one-shot type of films um, when, when used to good effect. Um, so I, I categorize this movie close to uh, like gravity, okay. where it's kind of like it's an experience rather than a text, uh, where you really hmm. feel like you're in the boots of a soldier going through this kind of really intense and scary experience. Um, and I appreciate the different like uh, cinematic tricks they did um, to make this whole one-shot sequence work um, because it doesn't simply just follow the characters all the way through. The camera kind of flies around a bit mm. in interesting ways that I think, and you know, they obviously they have to pick like the right like interesting camera angle to shoot any given scene from, um, and they have to cleverly navigate between them without cutting. And I think it's very interesting the way they did that. Uh, and I think that, you know, a lot of people like, they, they say, you know, one shot is just like, you know, a technical thing. There's no reason to do it or whatever. But I think it actually fits in with what the movie is trying to do. I think it enhances the movie because the whole point of this is you're on this kind of nonstop journey from one place to the other. You have very little time and you have to keep moving and you have to deal with all the stuff that comes, but you have to keep moving no matter what. And having this all be one shot kind of keeps you in this moment and it feels like there's never any time to stop and breathe and I think that that really lent itself well to what's going on on screen uh, and given that increased connection with the ordeals that the characters are going through it felt like the ending was more powerful to me because uh, he finally does reach there he releases he gives off the he gives the message um, but then the general implies that this sort of message comes by every day. And so whatever he just like went through is just something that happens all the time. And it wasn't some sort of like, you know, heroic effort. Mm. I mean, he gave a heroic effort, but it's not like, a you know, the effort. one, you know, not a unique effort yeah. that would like save the war or anything. Uh, it was probably just going to be another messenger the next day. Uh, and 
I thought it was a very poignant moment when he finally met the character who died's brother and they have a nice exchange. And I thought that was a pretty powerful moment just to see the brother react, uh, especially since you kind of had some moments with the younger brother who had died earlier. So yeah. I didn't think this was a good movie. <laughs> but I'll start with what I think did work because there's a lot of stuff that I agree with you on. Um, the, the last sequence is, is dynamite. Like when mm -hmm. he's running across that field um, like the battlefield and like the bombs are going off all around him and he like has this one shot to reach. It's in the trailers. It's in the trailers. It shouldn't have been in the trailers because like you just spend the whole movie waiting to see it. Yeah. But like it's, it's, it, it still works. And like that last sequence with Richard Madden where he's delivering the news about the guy's brother, affecting, right? Like yeah. that, that really truly did work. It, it was an emotional moment. Um, and then when he does, like when he's like searching through the trenches at the end to like, find the guy and realizing he has to go over the top to like run through everybody to get to Benedict Cumberbatch to deliver this message. It works. It really does. That's great stuff. Um, the rest of the movie, <laughs> uh, it, it, I basically have the same problems that I have with Birdman. Um, this is a better movie than Birdman. Birdman is one of the most irritating movies ever made. Um, and this is certainly better than that. But it's, to me, basically a humongous act of egoism. Like we're, we're the, the point of this movie is that we're supposed to be impressed by Sam Mendes. And we're supposed to be impressed that he managed to put together this one-shot sequence and that that is the raison d'etre for this film. And to me, that is just the, really the worst kind of art and the worst kind of filmmaking. That it is, it, it, you're supposed, that it's about glorifying the artist rather than about saying anything about the subject, rather than being about the characters, rather than being about the historical event itself. Because the, the, what you spend the whole movie doing with the, when there's this one-shot sequence is looking for the cuts. And some of them you spot, and you feel impressed with yourself, and some of them you don't, and you feel impressed with Sam Mendes. And like it pulls you right out of the film. And to me, that's just a, a, a shame because there, it doesn't serve that last sequence, which is the climax of the movie, which should have been so much more gutting and thrilling than it actually was, that we have instead what is essentially a video game of a movie where you have the characters moving from waypoint to waypoint, arriving at these cameo performances from people like Colin Firth and Benedict Cumberbatch and um, Richard Madden and who's the other one? Uh, the hot priest from Fleabag. Um, and <laughs> and they essentially acting like waypoints and check givers, or waypoints and quest givers for these video game characters that exist in this movie. And to me, that is just the it's so pointless right like it's just, why does this movie exist except for sam mendes to be able to say i made this movie and it looks very impressive and look at my my virtuosity and being able to create this movie um the other point like so I, I know the famous line from godard which is that every cut is a lie and film is truth at 25 frames a second right and so like the the kind the the idea that what we're getting is the unvarnished truth of World War One, right? Like this is what the experience of it actually, actually is. To me, I think <laughs> that the Godard quote that actually applies here is that there's no such thing as an anti-war film, and I think that what we're actually doing is that by presenting, by you know, making this movie that presents itself as truth because there aren't any cuts, 
what you're actually doing is obfuscating the choices that the film is actually making. Because what it would, cinema occurs when there are cuts. Cinema, because that's when choices are made. That's when decisions happen, is when you are making an editing choice and saying this is what needs to be shown in this order in a certain way. Mendes is still doing that, but he's not telling us that he's doing that. He's hiding the fact that he's making these choices. So what you end up with is a very conservative movie about the power of the... Uh, the, the British army and the heroism, heroism of the, the British soldiers and the nobility of the British cause in the face of the terrible Huns that are, uh, you know, invading the, the, the British homeland and the French homeland. And everything that would look like a choice is hidden. Everything that would look like a, a decision, a political decision that Sam Mendes is making here is obfuscated by the, the bombast and the impressiveness of... The, the, the movie that he's presenting to us. And to me, that's very insidious and, and really a, a shame. Because um, what this movie should have been is if you take the first two hours of this and shoot it like a conventional movie with normal shot reverse shot when you're having conversations and cuts it at, at normal places, and then the last sequence is told in a single shot, not only is it not diluted by the previous two hours of single shot, you know, sameness, which is what we have, uh, but you're also at least making your statement clear. And Sam Mendes instead opts to make his own talent as, as a filmmaker clear. And his, we know what his priorities are, are now, and it's a shame that this is the choice that he made. Um, but I'm very glad this movie didn't win. <laughs> yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I, I felt like I saw the movie basically the opposite way you did, because okay. I felt like, like I described before, that the one-shot like technique just kept me more immersed in the movie. And... It did feel like there were some interesting like statements about how pointless the war was. That you, you see like how little distance they cover um, throughout the movie, right? It's surprising how short like the different like walks they take are between front lines and all that, right? They're fighting over so little ground, and a lot of the environments are so drab. And they have they they do have a brief exchange about like how like uneventful all the terrain that they're giving their lives for is they're like we should have just given it to them right like why are we doing this why are we dying for this um so i mean there's there's some like you know anti-war stuff in there right it's all couched in look how cool this is and to me that's the problematic aspect of it like because it, it if it, you are you still leave the movie with the idea that british soldiers are very brave and good Right, and that's the basic message here: is that the, the British soldier is very brave and good, and what the British army also did is create the largest empire we've seen in the modern era, and this acts as cover for that for me by saying like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, the empire was bad, but the individual soldiers in it were very good, and mm -hmm. to me, that's that is the the, the function that functions as propaganda, and. It, it, it is a, a problematic message for me in that in that respect, a, alongside just the grotesque acts, act of virtuosity and self-aggrandizing that Sam Mendes engaged in here. Um, but that's okay. That's what, the reason there's lots of movies is because people have different takes on them. That's <laughs> that's the point. Um, what did you see, Crossman? I saw Uncut Gems. Good choice. Yeah. I also saw that one. Love we that movie. We've all seen it. it. I saw it a while ago. But yeah, it's okay. great. <laughs> uh, it's good. It's, yes. It's really funny. It's very good. Yeah. Um, it's also very intense. <laughs> yeah. It's a um, Safety Brothers movie. Yeah. Yeah. And Sandman. 
Mm-hmm. Just like crush it. Kills it. He's yeah. great. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I mean, quick recap. Sure. Um, he's a gambling addict. Mm-hmm. And... It ruins his life. Yeah, it ruins his <laughs> life. In, in more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, he likes gambling more than his everything, family. Everything else. Everything. Yeah. And he meets Kevin Garnett. and Our surprisingly uh, good actor. Great. Oh, yeah. yeah. Great role. Yeah. As um, himself. Yeah, he gets... He gets like an opal from Africa, from these African Jews, as he mm-hmm. describes them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the whole crux of the film is that he's going to sell it at auction and make a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so before he sells it, he is collateralized it into all these other bets that he's making. That yeah. He seems like he can actually afford to pay off, but he <laughs> seems more interested in making the bets than, right. than paying off his debts. Uh, and that culminates in, in in paying someone to drive up the price of his auction mm-hmm. and then having to pay them rather than pay off the, his, yeah. his bookie or whoever it is. Right. Yeah. And then that causes him to make an even crazier bet on the Celtics, on mm-hmm. a very specific Celtics game, a real game. Yes. I remember watching that game. And, uh, <laughs> I, I think I'm pretty sure I watched it too. And... And then he like wins the bet, but is killed instantly right. at the end of the game. And right, because he's just been fucking with people for too long. Right, it, it's so uh, well made. Like it's, it's incredible. It's it, you're just yeah. in it from the minute this, this movie starts until the minute it ends. Like it's it's so good, and I love that they never. Act, I don't think they ever use the phrase the phrase like gambling addiction or gambling addict or anything like that. It's just like they just show it. It's just like, this is what it looks like. You don't need me to explain to you what it is. And what do you think of it, Charles? I hate it, actually. Really? Really? Yeah, oh. I, get, I get to be the opposite one this Wild. time. This is the but only negative opinion of this movie I've ever I heard. I absolutely hated it because I was I was just like constantly annoyed by the movie. Um, <laughs> it didn't help that I like felt a little sick while I was watching it. <laughs> okay, okay. But like, the whole it movie... It is a disorienting movie. Yeah, but like yeah. the whole movie is just like Adam Sandler doing something really stupid and then him yelling having a yelling match between a few people and it was like, giving me a fucking headache because there were so many people yelling <laughs> and I was so tired of Adam Sandler's dumb voice yelling constantly because the whole movie is just him yelling non-stop all the way through, right? And it drove me insane and wow. it didn't feel like there was any point to it because it's just him making worse and worse choices and like not learning anything and then he dies. Like, what is this? This, this is the only negative review of this movie I've heard yet. Wow, okay. I was delighted by this movie. Yeah. I, I was blown away. I was just like, this is Yeah. This is a hell of a movie. Yeah, it just it just yeah. goes and goes. In terms of like the point of this movie, because I think it is easy to read it, um, and most people probably have, as just like a depiction of gambling addiction that ruins a life. I don't life. think that's the point though. I don't think that's the point either. What was yeah. your go ahead? Well, I don't know. I've I've read a lot of things about it and I'm still not Totally sure, actually, which is, I think, why it's an interesting movie. Yeah. But I, I did read in Jewish Currents, there was, like, a discussion between, like, four of their writers or some of their editors mm, and okay. some of their writers, and they were talking about, the I mean, the overriding thing is, like, he's in this, like, Long Island Jewish community, mm-hmm. and he works in the Diamond District, where there's a lot of Jews that work, and they were talking about whether or not he's... Um, like if the depiction was like anti-Semitic or if it's not, if like if he's not a caricature, how does it like fit into the things? Um, and I don't think they, like what was interesting about it was that they all like were like, yeah, but we, 
like I know somebody like this. (laughs) And then, and so I don't know what to like, how how to, and then they all liked it too. Right. So it was like, how do you, how do you like juggle those things of like. Right. Because there are tropes. Like there's a, it's a tropey movie. In in a lot of its characterizations. I thought it was funny because uh, I I have a like New Yorker Jewish friend who said it's like the most Jewish movie ever and he loved it. (laughs) Yeah. And then I have like a California Jewish friend and his dad his dad said that he didn't like the portrayal of Jewish people in the okay. movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Because uh, what, what I got out of it, um, like the famous line for this movie is, this is how I win, right? Like it's been all over the internet. <laughs> yeah. And he like, you know, Smiler has this goofy, like sinister looking grin on his face while he's delivering this line where he's explaining why he's making another ridiculous bet on the Celtics. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what the movie's about. I think the movie is about like finding alternate ways of winning, right? Because it's, it, you, you have like, Throughout the movie, like all of these disenfranchised groups that have been shut out of conventional white economy and white society, right? Like, so you have these these Jewish jewel dealers, right? And like they're they're not uh, allowed access to you know Wall Street or the conventional uh, capitalism, so they have engaged in this alternative economy, essentially, right? You have Kevin Garnett, right? Big giant black dude, and his way out of you know just being another black kid playing basketball, right? This is how he wins: is that he he goes and plays basketball. The end of the movie, you have the uh, Julia Fox character has to go to the Indian Conceal, right? Like the India, the Native Americans do not have access to conventional white economy. They have to find a different way to win. It's the casino, right? Like this leans, it's very tropey, right? It leans on a lot of stereotypes, but I think that's what, what's going on here is that he, he, the Safdie brothers are identifying these groups that have been shut out of conventional uh, white capitalism and they have to find a new way to win. This is how they win. And it's basketball, it's jewels, it's gambling, whatever it might be, but it has to be something alternative to what most white folks are engaging in to make money. Mm-hmm. I think that's what they're getting at here. Yeah, I, I read someone who, I'm pretty sure was making a joke, but I think the point is good, is that they, they were like, this is a movie about black Jewish solidarity. <laughs> or, like, or how there should be more black yeah. Jewish solidarity. Yeah, sure. And... I was like, yeah, that's, that's really funny, and it's actually not totally wrong. I yeah, I think that there's yeah. something that might be I, I think that. they show very explicitly in the movie that like all this relies on extractive capitalism in yep. the global south. It's what and, and we see the you know the violence that that causes. Yeah, because like, yeah, it's which, not which just, I think is a very thoughtful way of right. It's not it. just this you know random yeah. African miner finding the jewel and shipping it off. He like. Get seriously injured in the process of doing it. Like mm-hmm. that's what they're showing. Is like this yeah. is this is the cost and blood of all of this stuff, right? And that's yeah. what it boils down to. And then it ends the same way, right? With with Adam Sandler being killed. And so, I'm pretty sure the bodyguard that shoots him is just like a regular white dude, right? Yeah, and I think so. That fits with the the theme you're getting at. Well spotted. Yeah, I think that that's I think that that's true. That guy is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Whoever the hell was that? Um, is that character? Is it Bogosian? Oh, I have no idea. I, no, that's the no, uh, no, that's, that's, that's the uncle hired. There's like yeah. the muscle. Yeah, that dude is horrifying. Well, Bogosian's yeah. also like really creepy looking. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, but he's not as like like physically scary and imposing as that other guy. Yeah, Jesus, do you want to yeah. meet him in a dark alley? Although I read the "This is how I win" speech partly as that, but also as like not just settling for enough. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. always striving for more because he talks about like you want to win by one point, you win by thirty. Right. 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 And so he, yeah, no, I, he spends the whole movie grabbing for more, and he yeah, pays I agree. the it's, price for it. It's right? that too, right? Because it's also certainly, obviously, a, a pretty frank depiction of of addiction. And yes, it is additionally that. 
Um, so yeah, I thought it was great. <laughs> I, I, I heard an interview with the Safdie brothers, and yeah. they're very funny and had really interesting stories about just all the characters that are in that film. Because a lot of them are just like actual, it's like people they know. Yeah, no, not not that they know, but that <laughs> yeah. they met just exploring the sure. the Diamond District and. Um, like the rich guy at the end, he was like a clothing dealer or something. And, he has uh, a Twitter. Apparently, he yeah. actually just looks like that. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. I'm surprised too. And That's the guy, funny. and he started hitting on Julia Fox's actual social media, <laughs> IRL. That's very funny. Uh, good luck, man. <laughs> um, that interview was very funny, and yeah. yeah. Have you seen Good Time? No, I want to now. Um, I, th I think it might be a better movie. Like, this is a great movie. I think Good Time might be better. Yeah. Um, and I think it's coming to Netflix soon, like within the next Good. couple weeks. Um, so that movie is fantastic. Yeah, I, I think... Uh, it's all Queen. This is like a rising talent with yeah. these two, yeah. two guys. And but Keep an eye out. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, my pick? Yes. Next time? Okay, great. I want to do Gaslight. This is George Cukor and Ingrid Bergman. Um, where the phrase comes from. That's why we say that. Of this movie. <laughs> um, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we appreciate your your listenership. Um, if you're liking the show, please tell people. Please share it with everybody you've ever met. Makes a big difference. <laughs> we're on Facebook. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Google Play, um, and all uh, individually accessible uh, pretty easily. Um, we'll see you next week, or yeah, next week for Gaslight. <laughs>